Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. We so often miss the point, even though it's right in front of us. We miss the message, even though it's clearly proclaimed to us. There are sometimes we find that there are things we only learn through pain. There are lessons we only learn through difficulty. And when we look in God's word, we find that the disciples of Jesus often were in that place. They were often in the place where it was only because of the difficulty or it was only because of the pain, it was only because of the discomfort that their attention was arrested and they paid attention to what Jesus was trying to teach. And the truth of the matter is, we're not much better. Sometimes God uses the difficulty, the pain, the suffering, the waves, if you will, the rough water, if you will, to get our attention in order to let us know something about him that we wouldn't know by any other means. That's what we find when we're looking in John chapter 6. We've been working through John chapter 6. We've been working through the book of John as we've been looking at our series called Signed God. And we're looking at the signs that Jesus performs in the book of John, the seven signs, the seven miracles that specifically point back to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. And there are many other miracles recorded, many other signs recorded in the other Gospels. But you find that John focuses on seven of them, and he focuses on those specific seven that Jesus did during his earthly ministry for a purpose. And that purpose, as we just mentioned, was to show that Jesus is truly the Son of God. But we find, as we're looking at this sign today, in John chapter 6, starting in verse 15, and we'll look at that text in just a moment, we find, if you remember last week, if you didn't, you can check us out online and and sort of get the, the surrounding context. Jesus has just performed the miracle of feeding a multitude. He has miraculously multiplied bread and fish in order to feed these people who have come to hear him. And you find that immediately after that is where John picks up. So he's performed these miracles. He's performed miracles letting the people and the disciples know that he is the one who is giving the true bread from heaven Just as God provided bread in the wilderness to the people of Israel, so too Jesus in this desolate place with the people who are following him, these Jewish people, he is providing them with food, with the bread from heaven, but not only physical bread through this point of the sign or the miracle of the miracle of reproducing the bread, but also Jesus is saying, I am this bread from heaven. I am the one who sustains you. I am the one who empowers you. I am the one who has been graciously given to you by God. And then you pick up with John chapter 6 verse 15. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. 
It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So we find that Jesus, in this short passage, Jesus is teaching the disciples something about himself. But we find that they had not really understood what went on, what he was trying to teach them about the bread and the, about the bread and that miracle that he had just performed earlier that day. So we find that evening has come. That would be around 6 p.m. Evening comes and they get in the boat to go to the other side of the lake, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now that word sea, we use that, but it's not a saltwater body of water. It is a freshwater lake. It's 13 miles long. It's about seven miles wide, 157 feet deep. It's a large body of water. And so the disciples were crossing that seven-mile distance or so, depending on where they were crossing. They were crossing over to go back to Capernaum, that city that was basically the home base of operations for Jesus. And we find that Jesus gives them a message. They didn't understand what was going on with the bread. They didn't understand what Jesus was teaching them. And so Jesus gives them an opportunity to learn at a deeper level. And we find the same thing in our lives. When those rough waters come, when the rough water comes and the, the waves are seeking to, to overlap us and they're working against us, what are some of the things that Jesus may teach us in those moments? Well, it's the same thing that he taught these disciples. Because rough waters provide opportunities to exercise personal faith. It's a personal faith that needs to be exercised when we're reaching those rough waters. And Jesus gets those disciples into a position where they must learn it, own it, and know it themselves. Look back at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Let's just stop there for a moment. The multitudes see the signs he's performing and they say, that's the kind of leader we want. Let's all get a group of people together and let's grab Jesus and let's just go and let's gather people on our way, on our march to Jerusalem. Let's go down there. Let's say we, we get enough people because we want this miracle worker to be our king and we will cast out these Romans and we will install Jesus as our rightful ruler. Jesus recognizes this. That's not the way he's working. That's not the way he's establishing the kingdom of God. The way he's establishing the kingdom of God, it's not that his, his because his kingdom is not of this earth. So his, his, his followers aren't going to rise up and fight in that way. No, 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 no. No, he's establishing the kingdom in a completely different way. So what does he do? At this high point, he walks off the stage. At this high point, they dismiss the multitudes and he goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. He withdraws. And we find that's what he does. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The other passages and the other gospels talk about how he's praying. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. So these disciples are in the boat without Jesus. 
And these disciples are about to learn a lesson that can only be learned through the rough waters. If you look over, and we we talked about this last week, in the book of Mark, Mark records this little, some people might regard as a throwaway phrase, but it's not. This one little point in Mark chapter 6, verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now this is after this miracle of walking on the water, Jesus gets into the boat, and Mark records they didn't understand. They had not understood what Jesus was trying to communicate by multiplying the loaves. They didn't get it. And Jesus is now giving them a deeper opportunity, a better opportunity, a more full opportunity for them to grasp just what he's trying to communicate. And it has to become personal. Because if you look through the book of John, just the book of John, you find this is the only one of the signs that was performed just for the disciples. Now, there are other signs and other miracles and other wonders that are in other gospels that were performed for just the disciples, but John only records this one. This is the only one. Jesus is teaching the disciples personally, and there's an opportunity for them to exercise personal faith. He is making it become real to them. Because if we think back over the previous signs, none of the disciples were in social peril because their wine ran out at a wedding. These disciples, none of them had a son who was lying sick and dying with a fever who was healed from a distance. None of these disciples were lying next to the pool at Bethesda, unable to walk. None of these disciples apparently were really overwhelmed with hunger there on the mountain because they were even saying, let's just send them away so they can go get their own food. We'll go get something to eat ourselves. But now in the boat, now on rough waters, now Jesus is able to personally get their attention because now it's become real to them. You, you find in Psalm 42, verse 7, the psalmist writes, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The psalmist calls out, praises God and says, it's your breakers, your waves that have come over me. It's yours, God. You're the one doing this. And you're the one commanding these things. You are the God of all creation. And so because you are the God of creation and you've got my attention because of these waves, Lord God, then I am going to worship you in a way that is personal. These disciples are giving this opportunity. Listen, how often do we have this? How often do we find ourselves in situations that we have counseled other people in the midst of And we find that when our own personal waters get rough, how trite and empty those those little sayings that we have or that bumper sticker theology that we normally use to try to comfort other people, when we find ourselves in our own boat with our own waves, 
and, and how often we start looking at what truly brings us comfort, what truly brings us peace, what truly brings us hope, and we realize that all the stuff, all the trite little greeting card phrases that sometimes we use to try to comfort other people just seem empty and, and, and meaningless in the midst of that. Here are these disciples. These are seasoned fishermen. These aren't people who are trying to read a manual on how to navigate a boat while they're in the middle of this. They understand. And so they're out there. Mind you, let's refer to another incident that occurred. If you look at the Bible chronologically through the New Testament, if you take the, the Gospels and put them in chronological order, you find that the, Jesus has already calmed the storm once before this. Before this, he's calmed the storm when the disciples thought they were going to die. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. So he's already calmed the storm. And now here are the disciples without Jesus in the boat. Now it's a little bit different. Now the Bible here and John and the, and the other passages, it doesn't say it's a mighty storm that blows up. It's just a strong wind that's blowing up. But the wind is against them and the waves are breaking. And they're having a very hard time on these rough waters. And it has become personal. Can I just tell you, when you're in the midst of your rough waters, this is a moment where you are given an opportunity to exercise your own personal faith. It's become real for you. You have to ask yourself, upon whom do you stand? Where do, what do you place your trust in? It, are you placing your trust in God? Are you placing your trust on anything else? Because it has to become personal. It has to become real. I remember uh, a young lady I taught a number of years ago. Her father was a pastor. She said that her father was in a, in a seminary class. And whenever the professor was asking a question about what particular things meant or what this, how this applied to our lives, she said, my dad kept saying, well, you know, uh, he would speak up in class and say, well, my father always said, because his father was a pastor as well, my father always said this, my father always said that. And finally, one day, the professor looked at him and said, I don't care what your father says. My question is, how does God's truth apply to your life right now? It has to become personal. Familial faith is a wonderful thing, but familial faith doesn't cut it. It has to become personal. We're not riding the coattails of the generations before and trying to cling to their faith. No, it has to become real to us. And it's becoming very real for the disciples in this moment. It's an opportunity to exercise personal faith. It's also an opportunity to discover our weaknesses. Look at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Sea of Galilee is about seven miles across. Now, that's seven miles if you're crossing straight across. If you're going at an angle, you're going to add to that. So we can safely say they're out in the middle of it. They're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible also tells us, we'll look at in just a moment, that they've been out there for a while. So they're out there. They're out in the middle of the lake. The wind is working against them. We find that when Jesus comes to them, it's probably sometime around 3 a.m., according to the next part of the passage we're looking at. So these disciples have been out there rowing for probably somewhere around nine hours. If they got in the boat when it was evening time, 
around six o'clock and Jesus comes to them in that watch they've been out there for about nine hours battling the waves battling the wind and they find themselves only now in the middle of the lake it's an opportunity to discover our weaknesses these disciples are recognizing they can't deal with it by themselves and like I mentioned Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. Listen to these little details that Matthew gives. The boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch, that's that 3 a.m. point, at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. These disciples are recognizing they can't do it on their own. These disciples are recognizing they're in the middle of the of middle of the lake. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They've been working and rowing for about nine hours. They've only managed to make it halfway because the wind is against them. The waves are working against them. And they are in the middle of things and they are frustrated. They can't go any further. They're discovering the level of their weakness. It's like a shakedown cruise that they put ships through before a ship is labeled as seaworthy it goes on what's referred to as a shakedown cruise you take the ship out you take that ocean liner out you take that battleship out and you basically try to wreck it you try to emulate the worst of all possible circumstances the worst of all possible weather the highest winds the strongest waves And you basically try to force it to its breaking point. It's called a shakedown cruise. And then only after it passes the shakedown cruise is it deemed seaworthy. Jesus is putting his disciples through a shakedown cruise. He's helping them to understand these are your weaknesses. You cannot do this by yourself. And we're the same way. The severity of our storm should point us to the sovereignty of our Savior. How, when the severity of our storm, the waves come up and the wind is strong, that should keep pointing us back to the fact we can't do it our own. It should point us back to the fact that we have limits and that our God does not. And the disciples are learning this the hard way. This isn't anything new. You find this throughout the Bible. We don't have time to read it, but if you go back to Judges chapter 7, You find that God has raised up Gideon as one of the judges, the military religious leaders of Israel at the time. And he's going to use Gideon to deliver his people. And Gideon amasses this army. He's got 32,000 people, the Bible tells us. 32,000 men who are ready to go to war. And God says, you have too many. And God reduces that number. Now Gideon, we find, if you if you've read the Bible, if you go back and reread Judges, you find that Gideon was, he was a little bit of a, of a waffling sort. He was a little nervous. He was a little concerned. He, he wrestled with faith a lot. There was a lot of doubt going on with him. And he starts with 32,000. You would have to think he thinks 32,000. We're doing pretty good. And God says, you have too many. What do you mean you have too many? I got plenty. I got, I got, I got, I got 32,000 and God reduces that number. Okay. Well now I've got, I've still got a large number. I'm pretty good. And then God reduces it again until God gets it down to 300 people. And God says, now this is something I can work with. We've got 300. 
That's what I want to see. I can only imagine Gideon. Oh, I started with 32,000. Now I'm down to 300. This does not look good. But see, God operates by reductionistic strategies. God will knock your props out. God will remove anything else you depend upon. God will whittle down all of your resources until you have nothing left but him. And he did that with Gideon, and he'll do that with the disciples, and he does that with us to let us know he's in control. And by the way, he is. Whatever you're going through right now, he is in control. No matter how bad it is, he is in control and he is still good. He's always good. A friend of mine served as a pastor for many years. He said that after one particularly time of rough weather in the neighborhood and the city where he served, a woman walked up to him at the end of the morning service and said, Pastor, last week when that tornado came through, it was raging down on town. You know all the, all the houses it destroyed, all the businesses it destroyed. And we were praying. And do you know that that tornado went off in a different direction and avoided our home? Isn't God good? And he said, I looked at that woman and I said, yes, ma'am, God is good. But God did that because God's a merciful God. And ma'am, can I tell you, if God had sent that tornado right through the middle of your living room, he would have still been good. He said she didn't like that very much. See, but that's the, the way that we want to treat God. We want to say, I avoided the difficulty. I avoided the rough waters. Isn't God good? God's always good. God is so good, in fact, that he puts the disciples in the midst of the rough waters so that they can learn something about him they would learn no other way. And God will do the same thing for us. Rough waters, opportunity to, for us to discover our weaknesses. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That seems weird when Paul writes that. It seems weird reading that. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Paul's content with them because he understands here's an opportunity for God's strength to shine. What's your rough water? Some of you are in the midst of some really rough water right now. Some of you are in the midst of some rough water that nobody knows about except you and God. Can I tell you, this is an opportunity when your weaknesses begin to be exposed in the midst of that rough water, you stay put. You stay put and allow God to teach you what he wants to teach you. You stay put and rejoice in the fact when you start seeing those props knocked out. Because that means for every prop that gets knocked out, you are one step closer to depending only upon God himself. Now, I know that's hard. I know we say, yeah, but, 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 but but I'd like the fallback. What's my fallback in case God doesn't come through? Can I just tell you, that's not faith talking. What's my fallback in case God doesn't come through? You know, many churches operate by that means. I've talked to leaders who have operated by that. Well, we, we're going to do these things just in case God doesn't show up. Can I just tell you, if God doesn't show up, that is your biggest problem. It's not being able to fall back on something else. 
You have to have God. We must live by the power of God and by the power of God alone, recognizing our own weaknesses. But Jesus wasn't done with the disciples because look at verse 20. He said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Rough waters provide those opportunities for us to exercise personal faith and for us to discover our weaknesses. But rough waters also provide the opportunity for us to see Jesus clearly. Because now they get to see Jesus in a way they haven't seen him before. Oh, sure. They saw him heal people. Certainly they saw him make water into wine. Yes, they saw him multiply fish and loaves. Yes, earlier they saw him calm the storm. But now this is different. Now he's not calming a sea. He's just walking on it. And now Jesus tells them very clearly, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they, they, they take him into the boat. Now, the other gospels record some some of the other gospels record some of the details of this incident and and mark again going back to mark mark gives us this little detail he saw they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass by them if you want something that'll kind of disturb your peace uh, if you're having, if your peace is dependent upon something other than God, it's interesting that it says he saw they were making headway painfully. Many people say, many commentators say that he was probably up on the highest point of the region, Mount Arbel, looking down on the Sea of Galilee. And whether by moonlight or some special ability he himself had, being God in the flesh, saw that they were struggling. And then Mark says, and just as, John, or just as we mentioned earlier, and it's about the fourth watch, he comes to them. So Jesus sees. It's not like Jesus was up on the mountain praying and then looked down and said, oh, my goodness, my boys, forgot all about them. They're having a hard time. Wonder how long they've been down there. Mm, probably about nine hours. No. He sees they're, they're having a hard time. And so the implication is he just stays on the mountain a little while longer. Why just stay a little while longer up on the mountain? Because Jesus is about to reveal who he is very clearly. But Mark mentions that one little phrase, and he meant to pass by them. Why would he do that? If you you look it up in the original language, you find it's even stronger. He intended, he had made up his mind to pass them by. Now that seems cruel. Jesus is, they're in the boat. They're having a hard time with the waves and Jesus just walking on the water. Too bad, guys. So sorry. Wish you could walk on the water too. Now we find that Peter does, but John does not record that incident. That's another sermon for another day. But Jesus walks on the water to let them clearly see who he is. And Mark says that he was going to pass them by. What's the significance of that? The significance of that is everything that has been going on. Everything that has been going on with him feeding the multitude. And now he intends to pass them by. Because the terminology that, G, that Mark uses there to refer to this incident is the same kind of terminology that is used in the Old Testament when God passes by someone and gives them a view of his glory, 
of his power, of his might, to let them know he is God and they are not. It's the same kind of language that's used in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. God says to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on, to, on whom I will show mercy. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And God passes before Moses there on the mountain to let Moses see at least a glimpse of the glory of God. It's the same idea that we find there on the mountain when Elijah is there. After he has run away from the prophets of Baal, and we find in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, he said, God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Here's Jesus passing them by. Here's Jesus giving them a divine parade, letting them know, hey guys, I'm God. He's giving them a clear view of himself. Just as God gave Elijah a clear view of himself on the mountain, just as God gave Moses a clear view of himself on the mountain, so too Jesus is giving them a glimpse of what it means for him to be the son of God by passing them by while walking on the water. It's no accident that the gospels record that the multitude was in a wilderness area. They were in a wilderness area and they were hungry. And God miraculously provided food through his son, the bread of life. Just as in the Old Testament, as we looked last week, just as in the Old Testament, we find that Jesus, or we find that Moses was the one who delivered God's people and they're in the wilderness and they need food and God miraculously provides them bread in the form of manna there in the wilderness. And just as Jesus goes up on the mountain by himself with God, so too Moses has gone up on the mountain by himself with God. And now, just as God led his people through the Red Sea and they passed through the waters, instead of parting the sea, Jesus just walks on the waters. Jesus is letting them know, hey, I'm greater than Moses. And just as Moses delivered the people and the Moses delivered the 12 tribes and provided for them, I've provided for you 12 disciples. I've given you 12 baskets full of leftovers. And I'm letting you know there is a one who is greater than Moses who is in your midst now. I'm giving you a clear view of who I am. It calls back to Job chapter 9, verse 8. Job says, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Who else walks on the waves of the sea but God himself? Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, all the constellations? Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number? Behold, he passes by me. And I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Job says, God passes me by, and, and I just haven't been recognizing God for who he is. And here's the disciples in a boat on the wind-tossed waves, 
And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to see me for who I am. Because as Isaiah 43 lets us know in the words of God himself, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Notice this. Jesus gets in the boat. That last little phrase. He gets in the boat and immediately they are at Capernaum. Immediately they are at the place where they were going. They were in the middle of the lake just a moment ago. Now Jesus gets in the boat and immediately they're at the shore. Well, that's a miraculous thing in and of itself. They're only three or four miles out and now suddenly we've gone another three or four miles in an instant. When Jesus is in the boat, he's gotten them to where they were going. But here's here's a key factor. Jesus got in the boat. Jesus didn't need the boat. We understand that. By virtue of him walking on the water, it's pretty clear, I don't need the boat. And so he gets in the boat, and they're where they are where they were going. Jesus didn't need the boat. The boat needed Jesus. Jesus didn't need the disciple. All right, now, guys, we can finally get to where we're going. I was having a little bit of a hard time myself. But thankfully, Peter, with your arms, we're able to row to Capernaum. No. The disciples needed Jesus, but they moreover needed to see Jesus clearly. They needed to see who he is. That's why we find back in verse 20, Jesus said to them, it is I do not be afraid. Now that's how we translate it. It is I, do not be afraid. Can I give you the literal translation of that? I am, do not be afraid. I am. Jesus using that Old Testament terminology to refer to the one true God, Yahweh, the ever existent one, the great I am, Jesus, there, out there on the wave, says to the disciples, I am. I am not just one who is greater than Moses. I am the I am who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, who delivered Israel, who provided for them, who created all things. I am. Do not be afraid. Some of us need that reminder today in the midst of our rough waters. He is still the I am. He is the ever existent one. He is the one who exists in a way that we do not even understand. He is one for whom there are no surprises. He is one for whom nothing catches him off guard. He is the one who sees the beginning and the middle and the end all with equal clarity. And we need to have a clear view of who he is as much as is possible on this side of eternity. As much as our brains and our hearts can fathom, we need to get a clear view of who he is in the midst of our deep, rough waters. Because as deep as those waters are, he is deeper. And as high as those waves are, he's higher than the waves. He's walking upon them. And when you're facing your rough waters, recognize that if you're following Christ, you are following one for whom those rough waters are not a problem. 
And if he is in your boat, they are not a problem. Oh, but what if it gets rougher? It's okay, because he's the I am. Yeah, but what if the waves get really high? He's the I am. What if the wind gets really high? He's the I am. What if I have struggled all night long trying to get to where I'm going? He's still the I am. Some of you are there. Some of you are in the middle of your lake, in the middle of the night, and the waves are high, and the wind is strong, and you have been rowing all night long, and you're at the halfway point. And some of you are at the point recognizing it's the halfway point. You may be saying, you know what? It would be just as near to shore to turn around and go back the other way. I'm halfway. I'm halfway. I can go back and and have the wind at my back. No. Not when the I am has told you to go to the other side. There's something on the other side. Receiving in your boat. Recognizing for who he is. Recognize you have those weaknesses. Recognize here's an opportunity for you to exercise personal faith. What's faith? We've talked about it so many times. Faith is receiving a report from God and then responding in the right way. That's what faith is. It's always contingent upon receiving a report. Jesus told them, go to the other side. So they're going to the other side. And now Jesus comes to them in the midst of their rough waters and they get to where they're going. Is it going to be an instant for you? Maybe not. But he'll get you where you're going. More importantly, he gets you to where he is taking you. And he will do so because he is the I am. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you, God, we recognize that in and of ourselves, we're weak. In and of ourselves, we don't know how to navigate those rough waters. We may seek all manner of things to try to understand all manner of counsel all manner of advice in order to get to where you have called us to go father the truth of the matter is we need you we need christ you gave these disciples an opportunity to learn something they would not learn by any other means and father whatever rough waters we're facing you can do the same thing yet again and again and again So many lessons that we only learn in the midst of the rough waters, in the midst of the high waves and strong winds. When we've expended all our resources and we've rowed all night long and only managed to make it halfway by our own power, and even that was a struggle. But Father, we recognize there's one who's greater than Moses, greater than any Old Testament prophet, greater than any earthly power we may see here the great I am. And so, Father, I pray that this morning, if there's anyone here who's been rowing all night and they're tired of the wind and tired of the waves, that they would just receive you. They would receive you into that boat. They would receive you and recognize Jesus for who he is. That he is the creator of all things. That he is the sustainer. That he is the provider. And just as he was the provision there in the wilderness, both in the Old Testament and in the feeding of the multitude. So too, he's, he's the bread of life. 
And those who feed on the bread of life will live forever. Father, I pray for anyone here, anybody watching or listening who maybe they've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And today may be the day that, that they've been wrestling and today is the day of decision for them. That they would say, I'm tired of trying to do things on my own. I'm tired of trying to row on my own. I'm tired of facing the wind and the waves and recognizing that my own sin just keeps drawing me back, pushing me back. Father, today is the day for them to say yes to Jesus and to receive the gift of eternal life, recognizing that that we are sinners deserving of your wrath and a separation from you forever in hell. But yet, out of your great mercy, out of your great love, you sent Jesus who lived a perfect life and died in our place on the cross so that if we trust in that sacrifice that he died for us and we put our faith in him, that we would have eternal life and have eternal fellowship with you in heaven. So Father, I pray today would be the day, whatever decision needs to be made, if it's something that needs to be surrendered, if it's something that a situation that needs to be turned over into your hands, maybe for the first time, maybe yet once again, if it's a decision to follow you and to receive Christ as Savior, I pray that you might grant your boldness and your strength to do so. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.